0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at crossvillerevolution.com. Well, we're in the 12th week of a series where we're going verse by verse uh, through the book of Ephesians. If you're new to Revolution Church, this is your first time. What you need to know about us is what we like to do about 90 to 95% of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or large passages of scripture this is the 12th week of Ephesians where we have been going verse by verse as I've said and if you remember the first three chapters that we went through was really uh, talked all about our inheritance and talked about who we were in Christ there was no instruction given but who we are in Christ that phrase being used about 27 to 29 times depending on your translation and then chapters four through six is the applicational part of the book of, book of Ephesians. It's taking who we are in Christ and then applying it to every single one of our lives and everyday life. Last week, we got into a section and really opened up a sec- section of Scripture in chapter 5 uh, that talked about different relationships, wives and husbands, children and parents, uh, slaves and masters. Uh, and it talked about the submission that's supposed to take place and how... Every single person that's represented in those relationships is supposed to conduct themselves. If you didn't watch last week's sermon, I would encourage you to go online, find it on YouTube, find it on uh, social media, uh, because it directly ties to this one. As last week, we talked to the wives, and this week, we are going to be talking to the husbands as we look at chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Notice, lots more verses are given to the husbands than the wives, and you're going to see why here today. Marriage is what we're talking about. One person said, don't get married until you've mastered the art of war. That's a lot of people's viewpoint on marriage in our culture. We talked about last week about how in our culture today, we think that marriage is game over. But as we see in Ephesians chapter 5, which is one of the deepest scriptures in the New Testament there is that talks about marriage. There is a passage in Colossians that reiterates the same thing, but... In Ephesians 5, it's longer, and so that's why I say it's the, it's the deepest. Uh, we see that marriage, as we said last week, is not supposed to be a battleground. It's supposed to be a field of, field of victory. It's supposed to be one of the things that you get the most joy from in your life and one of the most sanctifying things in your life. So let's start in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, and uh, let's go verse by verse through this. Now, just as a warning, I'm going to read the first four words of the first passage and we're going to define something before we get into the major points of this passage. Are y'all with me? Say, I am. It says this in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Really, Paul gives us the answer to the test in the first four words. What are husbands supposed to do? Love your wives. Love. My dad always says love is a many splintered thing. Anybody remember the band Foreigner? Anybody in here? That's my people. That's the old folks in here, okay? That's the more seasoned people. Foreigner had a song. I want to know what love is. Do I need to join the worship team or what, y'all? Come on. (laughs) Hey, sing it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I want to know what love is. And then the next verse said, I want you to show me. Oh, those 80s love songs. You got to love them, man. They were so cheesy. That's what God's going to do today. He's going to show us what real love is, specifically how a husband is supposed to love a wife. The command, love your wives, husbands love your wives, seems so basic, doesn't it? It seems like maybe that husbands have an easier role inside of marriage. After all, last week, the command was, wives, submit to your husbands. What a harsh word kind of makes us turn our heads sideways a little when we hear submit. But as far as our everyday language goes, husbands love your wives. That doesn't seem too hard. We use that word with everything. It's important to note here, and Paul uses a form of love that you may have heard before in the Greek called agape love, which is defined as a self-sacrificing love one theologian says, this is the kind of love that seeks the highest good of the other, even at the price of one's own comfort, safety, and benefit. This is very important. Paul did not come to the husbands and say, love your wives with an eros love, which is really the form of love in the Greek that refers to sexual intimacy, which most of the time can be a self-seeking love. It's not a sacrificial love, but a passionate love. Let's reiterate this again. Lust is not love if you're dating in here or you're single in here and going to be dating one day and look for a husband or a wife. Paul didn't look at the husbands and say, love your wife with a philea love, which is what we refer to as a friendship love or a two-way love or a mutually beneficial love. It's been described as not sacrificial, but an affectionate love. In other words, philea love is loving what someone can do for you. Many people think this is how a marriage works. Many husbands think, essentially, philea love. If you benefit me, then I'll benefit you and still love you. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, love your wife agape. I heard about a guy who was reading a book on marriage and he yelled to his wife who was in the kitchen. He was in the living room. This book is amazing. I never knew that I was supposed to be the head of the house. So I want you to make me a dinner. And I want it to be the best dinner you've ever made. And while you're at it, make me the best dessert that you can make. And after that, since I'm the head of the house, I want you to draw a bath for me. And I want bubbles in that bath. When I get done with that bath, guess who I'm going to let comb my hair? The wife yells back, the undertaker, you know. (laughs) That's not the love that a husband shows. This is agape, or more appropriately, agapete, love. Self-sacrificial, unconditional love. One person defined this as sacrificially giving. A husband sacrificially giving himself to the good of his wife giving up his life even unto death. And until that is necessary, it means dying to what is easiest for him in countless little ways. I would describe this as a love of the will, loving someone with everything you have. Another theologian said this, this is a small part of their quote that had a lot of King James type language in it. Even if you're cut to a thousand pieces by your wife, You still love your wife let's get this straight both weeks we talked about this our culture tries to tell every one of us through songs through poems through tv shows that there is the perfect person that is out there for you now in a sense that is true but the perfect person that is out there for every single one of us is a man named jesus christ There is no husband that is perfect. There is no wife that is perfect. Hence why we have the instruction we have in the book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Let's continue. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Paul, after he gives this command for the husbands to love their wives, then gives some specific ways and applicational ways that we're to love our wives. First, he says, love her as Christ loves the church. Then, after he says this, he gives three specific examples how Christ loved the church, loves the church, which in turn means this is how husbands are supposed to love their wives. Number one... Husbands are to surrender yourself. What did it say? Jesus gave himself up for her, gave himself up for the church. So every husband in here, listen to me, you surrender yourself to your wife. You surrender your preferences. You let go of your self-seeking desires so that you can meet your wife's needs. Philippians chapter 2, we went through this book of the Bible a couple of years ago, it gives a great definition of this. This is really a scripture for the guys in here. Next to the portrait of your wife that you get tattooed on your arm, get Philippians 2 verses 4 through 8 tattooed on your arm. It says this, "'Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another,' have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's what Christ Jesus did. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Surrender yourselves like Christ did, gentlemen. Husbands, If you're not a husband in here right now, you hope to be a husband one day, start practicing right now by serving other people, surrendering yourself to others. This means we give up whatever is needed for the good of, not ourselves, of our wife. This takes extreme humility. Last week we talked about the word submit and submission. It's written in middle voice and it's something that a wife willingly does when she submits to her husband. Notice This is not an overbearingness by the husband. This is a husband submitting to his wife's needs. So number one, we surrender ourselves. Number two, you sanctify her, gentlemen. Husbands in here, you sanctify her. What I mean by sanctify is, uh, you try everything you can to help her grow closer to God and look more like Jesus every day. What did it say? Jesus to make her holy by the washing with water through the word. This is what husbands are called to do. A husband is not to primarily be concerned for his wife's short-term happiness, but for her long-term holiness, in other words. You want her to get into heaven. You want her to leave a testimony. You want her to leave a legacy. So husbands are to encourage their wife's growth, encourage it intellectually, emotionally, and most of all, We encourage their growth spiritually. We encourage them to get closer to Christ. We encourage them to use their gifts and their talents that the Lord has given them. and We support them in using their gifts and talents. We do everything we can to make sure that they are using those gifts and talents. The way this works, a husband sanctifying a wife, ideally... Okay, we understand that some guys in here are newly saved, and you don't know a lot about the Bible, and I'm not judging you. I'm just saying... Ideally, when your wife has a theological question, it's great to come to an elder, come to Pastor Josh, email me. I'll answer them for you and stuff like that. But ideally, what a wife does is they go to their husband. What does the scripture mean? What's this theological point? What's this? And the husband sanctifies his wife by teaching her, allowing her to grow in the word. What this means is we support her Through her hurts, through her pains, through all of her baggage, through all the past things that she struggled with, husbands are there to support their wife. The idea is we don't love, you see this sprinkled all through every point, right? We don't love our wife for what she can do for us. We love our wife because of what we get to do for her sanctifying her does that make sense to everybody say amen, amen. okay say amen number three here's the third point point. and, and I, I chose this language specifically but husbands are supposed to forgive their wives I, I made the point forgive each other because this actually applies to the wife as well what did it say Christ uh, presents the church to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless Jesus died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And this is a husband's role in a marriage. You forgive. You are long-suffering. It means in a marriage you embrace grace. You don't hold grudges. You have compassion for each other. You don't blame and shame each other. You value your wife for who she is, understanding that she is not perfect. For the husbands in here and the men that hope one day to be a husband, the boys that hope one day to be a husband, it means you set your pride aside. And when you guys get in a fight, even if you think she's more wrong than you, you're the first one to say you're sorry. When you are wrong, you humble yourself and you admit you're wrong. You don't get stubborn. You don't want to prove that you are right. Gospel-centered forgiveness is the glue that sticks our imperfect marriages together, as one commentator says. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. I mentioned Billy Graham last week. What a great example of a Christian marriage, Billy Graham and Ruth Graham, right? She was quoted as saying this, and we've got this on one of those uh, poster boards. I don't know if your wife likes those poster boards that say all kinds of words on them. We've got them hanging all over the house, but we've got this one. In our bathroom. It's interesting that it's in our bathroom. And I'm not going to say a joke about that. But Ruth Graham was quoted as saying this. A happy marriage is a union of two good forgivers. Two good forgivers. It's what we do, guys. We forgive. They're different. They're not perfect. Your husband's not perfect. He's different. I've sat down with many couples before. And I don't do a whole lot of counseling anymore. But I've sat down with many couples you know what I hear more than anything from wives? He just doesn't understand me. Even if they don't use that language, he just doesn't understand me. He doesn't get me. He doesn't even try. 1 Peter, live with your wives in an understanding way, husbands. Understanding way. You're quick to forgive. You're quick to be the one to initiate making up. Chuck Swindoll says about this, A few verses, a godly husband will help his wife feel fulfilled, grow toward maturity, and deepen her love for the Lord. So we love her as Christ loves the church, but then he gives us another example of how we're supposed to love our wives. Listen to this. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feel and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So husbands are to love her as you love your own body. I'm going to summarize in 60 seconds to y'all. Y'all need to get your phones out and take notes what I'm getting ready to say. I'm getting ready to tell you, men, how you can win your wife. And I'm getting ready to tell you, ladies, how you can win your husband. Listen to this. This is real. This is real stuff. I, I thought about this, prayed about this. This is, this is deep stuff. How to win your wife. Dine her, call her, hug her, support her, hold her, surprise her, compliment her, smile at her, listen to her, laugh with her, cry with her, romance her. This is a good list. Amen, ladies? Romance her, believe in her, cuddle with her, shop with her, give her jewelry, buy her flowers, hold her hand, write love letters to her, basically Go to the end of the earth and back for her again. Here's how you win your husband. Show up naked and bring food. (laughs) why we have rev kids okay (laughs) so bring your kids in here sermons like these we talk about adult stuff and i'm just letting you know i'm getting ready to go hard in the paint so if they're in here get them to rev kids nobody's going to judge you we get it okay we're not that too too hard to figure out are we guys how we care for our bodies how we as the scripture says nourish our bodies right And we're going to go over that word nourish next week when we talk about how children are to obey parents and how dads are not supposed to provoke their children to anger. So we're going to go deep on that one. But we nourish our bodies. We care for our bodies. We feed for our body, feed our bodies. We want to live a long life, so we do everything we can to be healthy. I believe that there's ways that you care for your wife, gentlemen, and everything that I'm getting ready to tell you Don't be technical. Don't be that person that comes in here and goes, well technically the Bible doesn't say this in a verse and says don't do this or do this. Every single thing I'm getting ready to tell you are things that I apply to my life. um, Things that I encourage my staff and the people I mentor and disciple to apply in their lives and they do with great success. And you will find every one of these wisdom principles all throughout scripture. So while you may not find a specific verse that says don't do this or do this, you'll find the principle all throughout Scripture if that makes sense. I think it applies as well for how we care for our own bodies. So you care for her like you do your own body. Number one, you care for her financially. You care for her financially. I'm going to try to be as applicational as I can here. What this means for every single man in here, especially for every single husband is you get a job. And you work. If you're a single man in here, you hope to get married one day, get off the video games and get out of your parents' basement and you're much more likely to find a gal that loves Jesus and will respect you and marry you. Get a job and oh by the way gentlemen, keep a job. Some of you guys switch jobs every three, four, five, six months and your wife has no security, which is what they're seeking. And they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to come home one day and you're going to say, hey, I quit my job again. My boss may be mad and I walked out or whatever. Get a job and keep a job so that you can give her security because you care for her. Men in here, here's wisdom. Get your house in order. Get your financial house in order. Some of the men in here use the excuse that they're not good with money. They've never wrote a check. And hey, I'm not saying the Bible says you have to be the one to write the check. But I am saying you have to care for her financially. And if you're not on a budget, you have no idea what's coming in every month and going out every month. You have no plan for the future whatsoever. You're being foolish. You're being foolish. Some of you guys in here, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know what's going to happen? Your wife is going to have to go get a crummy job that she hates, that she's going to have to work for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years because you're not caring for her, and you're being foolish. If you had a major medical emergency, it would bankrupt you. You got insurance, you got life insurance, you got a plan for retirement, care for her financially. This point can be summarized by saying something is wrong when a man sees his wife as provision for himself. Let me say that again and really make people mad in here. We know you're not coming back if you don't have a job and you live in your mom's basement, okay? And you're 30. Oh, man. You guys thought I went hard on the wives. Y'all know what I'm saying? We ain't even warmed up yet, okay? Something is wrong when a man sees his wife as provision for himself. Biblically, it's straight up. Secondly, care for her spiritually. Just give you some tips in my life. Hey, some of you guys are new Christians, never really been the spiritual leader of the household. but Guys, you be the one to read scripture with her. Start with a mustard seed. I'm not telling you, you got to go, you know, quote the book of Leviticus to her every single night, okay? I'm not saying that. Start with, hey, before bed, let's just read one verse. One, there's a verse of the day on an app. Just read it together, and that's it. Before you eat your meals, you be the one, guys, husbands, say, hey, let's pray for this meal. It'll blow her away if you've never done it. You've been married 20 years, you've never done that, you've never been the one to do that. She'll be blown away. Can I give you another tip that'll help your prayer life? And it will help support her spiritually and you spiritually. Is everybody ready for this one? Say amen. Pray before you have sex. Pray before you have sex. Now this is multi-layered. But just basically, gentlemen, if you want to look forward to prayer with your life, with, with your wife, pray before you have sex. You'll love prayer then. You'll look forward to it. Well, she asked me to pray. What does this mean? (laughs) Now, here's my advice. Guys, if you're going to do this, I'm going to try to be as thorough as I can explaining this. Don't let her pray because she'll pray too long. You need to be the one to pray. (laughs) I'm just being honest. She'll be like praying and you're going, hurry up, man. Come on, let's do this, you know. You pray, Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for the gift of sex. I pray we enjoy this and we reconnect during this. Also, I say this because this may sound weird to you. Pray, invite God into our bedroom and our sex life. Yes. So many couples have dysfunctional sex lives. And the one thing you've never thought to do is invite God into that. Watch what God can do and how he can redeem that how he can increase desire for each other, how he can make it something that's a healing thing, a connecting thing and not a destructive thing or a thing that you never do. Pray before you have sex. Good tip, amen? That was all the guys saying amen, there we go. (laughs) She'll look forward to it too. She'll be like, he's gonna pray for me. I have gotta stop, okay, number three. Care for her, number three, emotionally. Emotionally. Let me give you just a few simple applicational tips that I've learned over the years through pastoring and and in my own life. And this is wisdom, okay? Most women have abandonment issues. Most women, the overwhelming majority of women, have what we would say are dad issues. Abandonment issues. So men, you care for her emotionally. When you get in a fight with her, you don't walk out. It triggers that abandonment. You don't walk out and slam the door. You don't do the silent treatment on her. You don't do that because it triggers that abandonment that she's had in her life. You're caring for her emotionally. You care for her emotionally, which means you make the hard decisions. Husbands, you are the leader of the house. So you make the hard decisions. Where are we going to go to church? Husbands, really, you got the final say on that. She wants you to make that decision major decisions in your life, you don't leave the burden on her to make those decisions. The problem with most Christian households today is the husband lets the wife make all the major decisions. And she's worn out. She doesn't want to make those decisions. And gentlemen, I'm not saying you just, again, don't consider what she says or whatever, but you make the hard decisions. Make the hard decisions. I can remember when we started this church. Um... The first like, three years of starting this church were just so incredibly difficult uh, for everybody that was in it, but uh, Dale Perrigan and his wife Paige Perrigan were founders of this church with uh, myself and Brooke, my wife, and one day, it was probably, it may have been right at the beginning of the church, my wife reminded me of this conversation, it may have been actually before we even started I can't remember, but we were sitting with Doc Perrigan is what I call him. He's a doctor, and and Paige, his wife. and My wife, Brooke, was saying, how are we going to know Paige? She was talking to Paige, and she was saying, how are we going to know what to do, and how are we going to know when to do this? And she was just so stressed out, and Paige, in her wisdom, looked at my wife, Brooke, and said, Brooke, calm down. We're not going to have to know. Our husbands will know when we're supposed to do this and when we're supposed to do that. Right after she said that, Doc Perrigan looked at me, and he said, pressure's on now, isn't it? What an example, that's how it's supposed to be. The pressure is on the husband, the head of the home, to make certain decisions that your wife, it's not that she's not involved in it, but if she's struggling to make those decisions or just flat out not supposed to make them, man, step up and care for her emotionally. Make the hard decisions, also deal with hard people. Husbands in here, you're called to deal with hard people. Last week, we talked about what if, what if we have toxic family members. If she has a toxic mom, a toxic dad, a toxic brother, a toxic sister, and let's say that at every single holiday, like Christmas is coming up, uh, they come into your life like a tornado, get your wife all tore up, trigger all this stuff, gaslight everything, get her to where she doesn't even enjoy the holidays, guess what you're supposed to step in and do, husbands? You're supposed to t- step in and care for her. You're supposed to step in. And hey, we know you love your in-laws. But that's when you look at them and you say, you're not talking directly to my wife anymore. Everything that you need to talk to her about comes through me first. Because you're caring for her. You're protecting her. You'll be amazed they'll never call again. (laughs) Because they know they can't work you. Husbands, they know they can't mess with you. They know you're going to be logical and you're not going to bring up all those childhood issues and all that stuff. But you care for her. Care for her by doing that. You care for her emotionally by being the disciplinarian for your kids. Another major problem in Christian households today is the mother is the main disciplinarian, and the father is just the fun guy who never gets on to the kids. Now, men, you should have fun with your kids. It's wisdom to have fun in everything you do and be laid back and all that stuff. That's great. But your wife should be able to look at your children and say, Wait till your father gets home and they straighten right up. It's killing her because she feels like you never have her back. Never get on to him. You're just trying to be a nice guy. No, you have a role. You should be the main disciplinarian for your kids. I hope this is helping. Does all this make sense, everybody? This might mean that You need to, and follow me on these next couple of points because I think they're important. You might need to get healthy men. In this passage, it's interesting because he says, as you care for your body, love your wife. Some men don't care for their body. And it spills over into how they love their wives. So maybe just quite honestly, you need to get yourself healthy and hopefully that will spill over into your marriage. Maybe you need to get yourself healthy physically. Maybe you need to lose weight. Maybe you need to get in shape. Maybe you need to get your confidence back in that area. Maybe, men, uh, you need to quit doing something destructive physically, like you need to stop drinking or break an addiction that you have or something like that physically, and you need to get that out of your life for the sake of your marriage. Maybe you need to get healthy emotionally You need to get healthy emotionally. Let me give you a couple of examples for the men in here that I think many wives uh, will relate to. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not all men do this. But you need to get healthy emotionally in the sense that uh, you need to stop basing your happiness off of the success or failure of a sports team. Some of the men in here, your wives dread college football season because you're allowing 18 to 20 year old boys on a football field to determine whether or not you're going to be joyful and happy in a good mood or a bad mood. (laughs) Not yet, I'm just kidding. Boy, that's a legacy, fellas. Everybody in the house knows When Tennessee loses, you're going to be in a bad mood when they don't beat Alabama for a week. That's great. What a testimony for Jesus. How about this one? This goes a little harder. Get healthy emotionally. Stop basing your happiness off of what politicians do or don't do or say or don't say. I dare say that there are wives, under the sound of my voice, that wish that just for one day you would turn off Fox News in your house. You would turn off CNN. Because all you do is you get stirred up and you walk around the house like a madman based off a news organization that I think we've verified gives you part of the story, and their whole job is to get you stirred up and make you angry because it makes you watch more. You've been manipulated, right? Get healthy emotionally. Get healthy spiritually. Surround yourself with godly men that will hold you accountable. Again, interesting, great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Similar here, right? Love your wife as you care for your own body. Well, Some men don't care for their body. Some men don't love themselves at all. So you're treating your wife, respectively, exactly how you care for yourself and how you love yourself. So you need some men around you that hold your arms up, that encourage you, that keep things in perspective for you so that you don't allow the world to beat you down. As I said last week, being a man is... Hard in this world. But so much harder for a man that's trying to follow God. That's trying to love Jesus. And everything is designed to get you down. So you'll be a bad dad. So you'll be a bad husband. So you'll be a bad follower of Jesus. So maybe you need to get healthy spiritually. And finally under this point I would say. Maybe you need to make sure you have some safety boundaries in place in your life. Somebody asked me one time hey, Josh, do you want to go skydiving? And I immediately said, no. I'm not going skydiving. I have one body that God has given me, and I'm not going to do something stupid like go jump out of a perfectly good airplane in search of an adrenaline rush. Somebody asked me one time, Josh, you want to go bungee jump? They asked me if I wanted to... Y'all seen those slingshot things that they... I'm like, no, because I'm not going to be on the 6 o'clock news because the one time I get on it is the one time that bungee cord breaks and I die. I'm not doing that. There are certain things that trigger safety guardrails with my body in my brain. I'm never going to go skiing. It looks cool, but I'll hit a tree. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not doing that stuff. When I get up in a high place, I'm scared of heights, and I feel like I'm going to pee myself, so I just don't (laughs) go Up on high places. Y'all know what I'm saying? Maybe that's too much information. I'm sorry. But (laughs) like I have safety guardrails in my life for my body. And it needs to be the same thing for your marriage, gentlemen. You need to have safety guardrails. And the main safety guardrails you need to have in your life is to prevent you from doing something that God says he hates in Scripture from committing adultery. Now most people don't really know what adultery is biblically or in any sense. There's a lot of gray area. Let me tell you the three characteristics of adultery. And you better write these down because these are very, very important. We'll go over them again, I'm sure, at some point. But here's the three characteristics of adultery. The first two I'm going to tell you might not encompass an adulterous affair, but it leads to the third one that definitely defines an adulterous affair. Number one, in an adulterous affair, there's always a social aspect to it, a social aspect to it. In other words, you're getting something emotionally from someone that you're not getting from your spouse that you should be getting from your spouse. Sometimes this falls into the category of what we would define as an emotional affair. Okay, Again, a lot of gray area in this, a lot of lines move, a lot of subjectivity to this, but there is a social aspect. Secondly, There is a secretive aspect to it, secretive, okay? In other words, you have a relationship with someone socially that you are hiding from your spouse that they don't know about. You know, an old high school boyfriend or girlfriend sends you a message on Facebook, tells you you're looking great, and you start texting each other back and forth. There's the social and there's the secretive. Your spouse doesn't know about it. There's a social aspect. It feels good that my old boyfriend or my old girlfriend tells me that I'm looking good, wants to know what I'm up to, so on and so forth. Be careful because that's what leads to the third characteristic of adultery, which is there's a sexual aspect, a sexual aspect. This could come in the form of pictures. This could come in the form, in my opinion, Not just of actual intercourse, but other things that can happen over the phone, over the internet. And please understand, in the world we live in today, there is no distance that makes you safe from an adulterous affair. You could be talking to somebody on the internet from Antarctica, and you could be in danger of having an adulterous affair. Is everybody with me? Say amen. So to prevent these three things, let me give you ten things that are wisdom principles that every single man in here and husband in here should apply to your life. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, okay? Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Number one, never develop an emotional connection to a person of the opposite sex. Now, when I say opposite sex, I'm obviously not talking about your family. I'm talking about people outside your family, okay? Number two, never be alone with a person of the opposite sex. Number three, never have meals, meetings, mingle with a person of the opposite sex. Now, I understand some of you guys have jobs where you work with females. You have to ride in a car uh, to the next town to do something, and they're in there with you. Well, buy you a dash cam for $100 and record every single interaction you have with her and give your spouse the passwords to be able to watch that anytime they want. Well, I have women in my office all the time. Leave the door open where people can see you or buy some wireless cameras so there is accountability for yourself, for them, and your spouse has access to this. There's no excuse with the technology today that anyone should have to where there's not accountability. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. Number four, never engage in negative talk about your spouse to a person of the opposite sex or to anyone. You are your spouse's biggest Fan. I almost said flan because I'm hungry, but you never talk negative to anyone. You don't talk to your mom and daddy negative. You guys have a fight. You don't go telling nobody about it. Now, there could be some caveats talking to your pastor or a, a serious spiritual mentor, but you're not talking to your buddies. You're not talking to anybody, especially someone of the opposite sex. Opens up a door. Number six, never mentor or disciple a person of the opposite sex unless they are your family. This is an important one. This is an important. You will not find one example in Scripture where an older man discipled a younger woman or an older woman discipled a younger man or vice versa. You won't. In fact, in the book of Timothy, it makes it pretty clear the older women are to be an example and disciple the younger women, the older men are to be an example and disciple the younger men. Big red flag to me. I'm just trying to help this girl. No. You're a creep. And everybody thinks you're a creep. And you're a weirdo. It's weird. It's weird. Everybody say it's weird. It's weird. Okay? You you work out at the gym. You don't start training a friend of the opposite because you're just trying to help stop come on man we're not born yesterday man can't pour hot coals on his lap and not get burned is what the book of proverbs says never make physical contact in a casual or non-casual manner with someone of the opposite sex come off a basketball court guys slap each other on the rear end give high fives you don't do that to someone of the opposite sex Someone that's not your spouse that you're going to have a hug of the opposite sex. What have I told y'all? Side hug. Blessing taps. Tap, tap. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. Y'all know what I'm saying? This how crazy it is. Until you take it serious, though, like this, nobody in here is going to take a knife and cut your hand off. No man in here. Why? Because you care for your body. Stop cutting your hand off in your marriage, so to speak. Never make coarse jokes, especially to a person of the opposite sex. should never say that's what she said to someone that's not your spouse. We talked about jokes a few weeks ago if you want to go watch that. Number nine, never give a gift solely from you to a person of the opposite sex. Good way to get them thinking something. Learn this language. We love y'all. Everything's plural. Everything's plural. Your spouse gives the gifts to women, gentlemen. Number 10, minimize non-work-related conversations with a person of the opposite sex. Here's the idea. When you start to get too comfortable with a person of the opposite sex, that's not your spouse, trouble is brewing. Trouble is brewing. Socially, secretive, be careful. You're in here today and you're like, ah, pastor, he's just being old school. All right, go do your thing. Go do your thing. Do it the way you want to do it. We'll be here. we we'll be here to support you and love you. Through the pain you're headed towards, the cliff you're going to fall off. Use wisdom, gentlemen. We love her the way we love our own body. One, one person said, the way a man treats his wife says a lot about his own character, integrity, and self-respect. Verse 31, we got two more to get through and I've got one minute. Everybody with me? Say I am. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You love her by making her your first priority. She is your first priority, gentlemen. Your wife is your priority over your parents, over your career, over your kids, over your friends, over your video games, over golf, over hunting, over your hobbies. Your wife is your priority over everything besides Jesus. Everything, husbands. Your own wants, your own desires, she's the priority. Last verse, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love her so you can be a witness to others. Love her so that you can be a witness for others. Everything we do as followers of Christ is a witness to others, especially our marriage. I would submit to you this weekend... That the reason we're in the shape we're in in America today is because the generations that are coming up don't have any examples, mostly. Now, some may, but this is a blanket statement that's general. Don't have any examples of what a Christian marriage should be. So it's no wonder that even in the church, people cohabitate more than they're married. It's no wonder the divorce rates are going through the roof. There's no example. Your motivation is not just for yourself, gentlemen. It's also so young men will watch you and learn how to be a man. They'll have a witness. They'll have an example. This point really connects to, I believe, an Old Testament book of the Bible, the book of Hosea, when it says this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, your marriage should be like a picture of how Christ loves the church. And that's what we get in this Old Testament book of Hosea, a great book of the Bible. If you've never read the book of Hosea, I would encourage you to go read it. You might get lost after the first like two or three chapters because there's a lot of uh, uh, prophecy in the last uh, uh, two-thirds of the book, three-fourths of the book. Uh, there was a recent movie that came out based off the book of Hosea called Redeeming Love. Uh, you can go watch that too if you're not a reader and you want to get kind of the gist of the book of Hosea. But the book of Hosea really had three things that it was symbolizing. It's a true story, but three things it was symbolizing. Number one, it was a symbol of how God loved the nation of Israel and loved his people, and he used the prophet Hosea to be a metaphorical example of this. Secondly, it's an example also of how Christ loves the church. So Hosea is being used with his wife Gomer, to give us an example metaphorically about how Jesus loves us and is willing to give everything up for us. But thirdly, I believe it's an example too of what a godly man is supposed to do and a godly husband is supposed to do. The book of Hosea, long story short, God tells the prophet, the man of God, the godliest man in the kingdom, to go find a prostitute to marry named Gomer. He goes and marries this prostitute, Gomer. They're married. She leaves him. Goes back into prostitution. Cheats on him with multiple men. God says, go back and find her again and bring her home. He goes and leaves, finds Gomer, brings her home. Now, when I envision this book of the Bible and God telling Hosea to do this, I envision Hosea thinking, I don't want to go find her. She cheated on me. She left me high and dry. I don't want to take her back. But he listens to God. He goes and finds her. They have a couple of kids. What does Gomer do? She leaves him again. Goes and cheats on him again. Her life gets so out of control that she's sold as a sex slave into sex slavery. God looks at Hosea. He says, I want you to take your life savings, essentially, a huge sum of money, and I want you to go buy her out of slavery and bring her back home. Again, in my mind... I'm thinking, I'm Hosea. I don't want to take my life savings. I don't want to go buy her back. I could never see her again and I'd be happy. But he goes and does it. Brings Gomer home. Gives everything up for his wife. Follows the instruction God gives him for his wife. Loves Gomer. Agape. Sacrificially Doesn't seek his own desires Seeks to please God And love his wife Hosea is a picture gentlemen Of what a man of God is Yes God gives us blessings Yes God gives us joy Yes God will allow us to do things That we never thought possible And he's got a great plan for our lives But the book of Hosea is proof that being a true man of God means that a lot of the time you're doing things you don't want to do. You're sacrificing and you're giving of yourself. Out of obedience to him and out of love for her. The church As a problem, there is a lack of godly men that are willing to sacrifice and love God and love their wives. I hope today is an encouragement to every husband in here to do that. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.